Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning in the 13th verse. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not pray, prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lo loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged them, the disciples, to tell no one that he was the Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Praise to you Lord, Lord Christ. Heavenly Father, as we turn now in this worship, we turn now to this act of sacrifice and praise in a sermon, we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Father, in the name of Jesus, send your Holy Spirit to be at work in us and through us. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. You're welcome to come. Overrule and overwhelm my mouth and my words so that what is said is in accordance to the word of God and for the good of God's people. Holy Spirit, come and overrule and overwhelm our ears and our hearing so that what is heard, Lord, is from you. Come, Holy Spirit, and take God's word, a two-edged sword, and do what only you can do. Lord, where we need to be convicted and cut, convict us and cut us. Where we need to be encouraged and healed, we pray that you would encourage and heal us. And use your word to do it. As we come together in the name of Jesus, we come in submission to the word of God. It is the authority of life and faith. And so we pray, Spirit, that you would come and apply these things. Change our lives because of your word and according to your word. And be glorified in this. Let us be different for having encountered you today in worship, in word, and in sacrament. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, please be seated. So this morning, we're shifting gears just a little bit. Over the past several weeks, we've been talking in our sermon series uh, on the Holy Spirit about the foundation stones of the person and promise of the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament. We've been talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus, and now we turn to the third movement of phaseology as we discover and consider together the biblical description of the work of the Holy Spirit in the church and in the life of the believer in Jesus. So you'll notice that our sermon illustration for this morning takes uh, place or is taken from our third panel of the phaseology paintings. This morning, we're going to consider this first little bit about the life of the Holy Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit, I should say, in the life 
of the church. Folks, we live in an age of loneliness and isolation. It probably doesn't surprise most of you. Loneliness and isolation is felt across generations these days. It is perhaps most widely felt in the millennial generation, those born between 1984 and 1998. So let's just say, uh, first off, let's recognize something about the millennial generation. They are not the ones who are in college now. They're not the ones who are in high school now. Millennial generations are in their mid-20s to mid-30s. They're adults functioning in the world. And this millennial generation, recently a survey revealed that 30%, 30% of millennials reported feeling lonely, always or often. 22% of millennials say they have, quote, no friends. Loneliness is not limited to this generation. It's actually much bigger than this. A, a survey by the Barna Group reports that adults across generations, adults are twice as likely to say they are lonely today, twice as likely than they were just 10 years ago. Author Stephen March nails the irony of our isolation and loneliness when he writes, Over the past three decades, technology has delivered to us a world in which we need not be out of contact for a fraction of a moment. In 2010, at a cost of $300 million, 800 miles of fiber optic cable was laid between Chicago Mercantile Exchange and the New York Stock Exchange to shave three milliseconds off trading times. Yet within this world of instant and absolute communication, unbounded by limits of time or space, we suffer from unprecedented alienation. We have never been more detached from one another, March writes. We've never been more lonely. We live in a world of scattering. We live in a world of isolation and loneliness, and this is not the way it was supposed to be. It's not the way that it has to be. The triune God of all that is that created humanity to live in community. And this one God is the God of gathering. This morning, I want to introduce to you two particular phrases. I don't think either one of them are original to me. But the first one is the Babelic impulse. We'll talk about what that is. And the second phrase that I want to introduce to you is the Babelic kill switch. This morning, as we consider the Babelic impulse and the Babelic kill switch, we see that the church, the church is God's gathered people in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis really set a foundation and explanation for why the world is the way the world is. We read there that God created But given the opportunity to seize individual authority, man and woman rebelled. They disobeyed. Their desire in Genesis chapter 3 was essentially to form their life around themselves with God at the margins. And this desire to form life around the self was manifested in the generations that followed. It came to the point where evil had grown such that in Genesis chapter 6, we read that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
So there in Genesis chapter 6, seeing the world, seeing humanity form life around itself with God at the margin, saddened by evil, offended by sin, holy God poured out his judgment in the waters of the flood, saving for himself a remnant, one family. Spared from the waters of judgment, Noah and his family received a covenant from the hands of the Lord, along with the command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But the impulse, the impulse toward the self, the impulse to form life around the self, lurked in the hearts of Noah and his sons. And at the end of Genesis chapter 9, we read that Noah planted a vineyard, got obliterated on the wine he produced, and then some kind of scandal occurred with his sons. A short little chapter, Genesis chapter 10, talks about the people of the earth being spread all over the world. Genesis chapter 11, 1 through 9, tells us how that happened. The whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. Ignoring the command of God to multiply and fill the earth, humanity once again sought to build their life around themselves, and they settled. The genius of creativity, the genius of technological development took hold. They developed the ability to make bricks, and they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. This desire of Genesis chapter 11, what I'm calling the Babelic impulse, is no different than the desire of Genesis chapter 3. It's the humanity's desire to build the life around the self. It's a desire for autonomy. It's a desire to be the captain of my fate, the master of my soul, the desire to form society in the image of the self or to form a family in the image of the self apart from God. This is the Babelic impulse, life organized without God, life organized around the self, whether as individuals or in some kind of social utopia. We have to recognize God's response to the Tower of Babel. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. A little touch of humor here. The best that humanity could do, a tower to the heavens, and yet God still had to come down to see it. And the Lord said, behold, there are one people, and they will... They have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. God comes down, and he brings judgment. He brings penalty. You see, on the one hand, only God is God. And the record of Scripture is very explicit on this note. There is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the God of the Bible, the God of creation. And this one God cannot, he will not allow his godness to be challenged without response. In Genesis chapter 3, this Babelic impulse takes its shape. This Genesis chapter 3 desire for autonomy, for the naming of good and evil, is a challenge to God's godness. It's a claim of divine right, and God responds. In Genesis chapter 11, this Babelic impulse to design and create a society for the good and glory of man, reaching all the way up into heavens, is again a desire for a divine right. And God will not allow that to go 
unchallenged. It will not go without response. And so as he did in Genesis chapter 3, here in Genesis 11, God pronounces his displeasure and he brings about his perfect justice upon this human endeavor to build life without him. There's penalty here. There's judgment here because God is God and he's holy. But there's also protection. There's also protection in this scattering. In Genesis chapter 3, God protected humanity by casting them from the garden as there remained within the garden the tree of life. And God desired to protect Adam and Eve from living forever in their broken, sinful, fallen estate. And so God established protection. There is protection in God's judgment upon Babel. Just in the first ten and a half chapters of Genesis, humanity has proven its capacity for evil and injury. Cain murdered his brother. A descendant of Cain by the name of Lamech in Genesis chapter 4 brags about his violence and his retaliation. It had gotten to the point where every inclination of the heart of man was toward evil. So what would have happened if this human project at the Tower of Babel, what would have happened if this attempt to organize life around the self were allowed to continue? What kinds of degradation, debasement, and violence would be created? So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The very project that was intended to make the people famous, the very project that was intended to keep the people together resulted in their shame and in their scattering. And any attempt to organize life around the self, any attempt to organize life around the human project without God, that babelic impulse, it can only end in scattering. It can only end in the confusion of Babel. A French philosopher, French philosopher by the name of Jean-Paul Sartre I don't pronounce French names very well, so you'll forgive me. I am from Kansas, after all. He says that the human project is to live life without God. But what happens when we try to do that, to pursue this babelic impulse? Christopher Ashe uh, wrote a wonderful book called Remaking a Broken World. You'll see that recommended to you in your bulletin day today. He puts it this way. The point of the Tower of Babel is not just that it happened, it is that it happens and happens and happens again. When the builders of Babel were scattered, they did not give up building towers. It is just that they, now they all try to build their own towers. So we live in a world of great scattering because we continue to live with a Babelic impulse to form life around ourselves. Our modern Babelic impulse now has been fused with consumerism and radical individualism. It's resulted in humanity being more scattered than ever before, and in some cases, in open opposition to one another. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And God is not content to leave it this way because God is the God of gathering. God is the God of a people. The story of God's great gathering into a people resumes in Genesis chapter 12. As the Lord said to a single man, a man named Abram, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The rest of the scripture, story of Scripture, the rest of the story of Scripture is the story of God fulfilling this promise to Abram in and through Jesus. As our kids at the Gospel Project this past Wednesday night, our uh, children and youth heard all of the Bible is about Jesus. And so the promises made to Abram, who becomes Abraham, are ultimately about Jesus and find their fulfillment in Jesus, as Jesus is the true Abraham, the father of a nation. Abraham in the Old Testament became the father of Israel, and while Israel suffered the consequences of its own babelic impulse, even as Israel sought to organize and live life around themselves and apart from God, even while God judged, restored, judged and restored, that promise remained. A promise that through a single individual, God's work of gathering would be completed. That the scattering would be undone by a gathering. And the gospel, according to St. Matthew, makes explicit in his genealogy, beginning the gospel, the single individual is none other than Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And about halfway through Matthew's gospel, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The God of the Bible is the God of gathering. The church is the people that God is gathering together. To fight the Babelic impulse, Jesus does amazing things graceful and gracious work. The, the story of Scripture is the story of God's action in calling a people to himself, in making a people of his own, in calling humanity to build life rightly around him. How? Through Jesus in the Holy Spirit. Jesus' work to gather a people leads him to the cross. A sinful people cannot be gathered to holy God without atonement, without forgiveness, without cleansing. Jesus shed his blood so that full restitution of sin could be made, was made, is made, so that sinful people can receive forgiveness of sins and be reconciled to holy God, an act of gathering. But Jesus' work to gather a people leads him to resurrection. God's people gathered are a people alive because Jesus is alive, an act of gathering. And Jesus' work of gathering leads him to pour out the Holy Spirit, an act of gathering. Pentecost is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church. This is an act of gathering God's people. It's the undoing of Babel. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, those 120 men and women gathered in the upper room were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. St. Luke writes that they were singing, speaking out the praises of God, the reversal of Babel. 
The triune God is fulfilling his eternal purposes of gathering a people for himself around himself. If the Babelic impulse is the natural desire to organize and live life around the self, which leads to scattering, then the Babelic kill switch is the supernatural organization of living of life around Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the church. The Babelic kill switch is activated in the church. God's gathered people in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The church is the only thing Jesus ever said he would build. I will build my ecclesia, my church, my assembly called out and called together. The Babelic kill switch. To be in Christ is to be gathered into Christ's body. Christian thinker and college professor Brett McCracken commented on the necessity of God's people gathered the church when he writes, Jesus calls us not to an individualized, self-styled spirituality, but to faith in community, community accountable to others. Christianity disembodied from the church is not really Christianity. To be in Christ is to be gathered into Christ's body. It is to be built together into the temple of God. The preacher of the first sermon of the church was St. Peter in Acts chapter 2. And later in his life, Peter, as an apostle, wrote, a hand, wrote to a handful of churches in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. And note what he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, as Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious... You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, that's a temple, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He goes on to say this to this group of Jewish and Gentile, multinational, multi-ethnic, multi-language people, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who, were call, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But wait, there's more. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. God is a God of gathering. God is a God of the babelic kill switch, calling people to form life around him in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And as we come together into the church by God's doing, we recognize that we are all bricks in the wall of God's temple. The church, the people of God in Jesus Christ, formed through the Holy Spirit, is God's gathering work out of the scattered people. God is the God of gathering. God is the God of the church. And the church is God's gathered people through Jesus in the Holy Spirit. But what difference does it make? Let's think about this both internally and externally. What difference does it make that the church is God's gathered people in Jesus through the Holy Spirit? First, I want to say this. This should encourage us to have a very high view of the church. It should encourage us to think very highly of the church. Because despite its being made up of sinful people, despite its flaws, the church, universal and local, is God's gathered people in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. How dare we despise the church? It is the body of Christ. The church was God's idea. 
He does the work of gathering his people in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So we should be encouraged to have a higher view of what it means to belong to the church. Secondly, we should take courage in action. Jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. The church shows up at the end of history in the book of Revelation And so it is, we should take courage because the church will outlive and outlast everything else. Why? Because it is God's gathered people in Jesus through the Spirit. The church in history has outlived and outlasted the Roman Empire. The church has outlived and outlasted Nazi Germany, communist Russia. It's thriving in communist China. And the church will outlive because it is God's gathered people in Jesus through the Spirit. The church outlived the proclamation of the 1960s that God is dead, and it will outlast the political systems, persecutions, and rejections of this modern era. Be encouraged to have a higher view of the church. Be, take courage in action, because the church is the babelic kill switch. It is God's gathered people in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. It's actually for our good. I know how it is that sometimes because of that babelic impulse within us, that that desire to live life on our own uh, accord as our own bosses, we sometimes resist the things of God because we find them to be restrictive or limiting. But the things of God are for the good of God's people, and this includes his church. God's the creator of humanity, and as such, God knows the best way to be human. And the best way to be human The true way of humanity is to be part of God's gathering of his people in Jesus through the Holy Spirit, the church. The church is that babelic kill switch because of what it does to us. As a part of God's gathered people in Jesus through the Holy Spirit, our impulse to organize our lives around ourselves, our preferences, our demands, our consumerist expectations and our idols, all those things are undone as we are called to pick up our crosses together and follow Jesus. The church is the babelic kill switch because as a part of the church, we're called to live together in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, and to one another, empowered by the Spirit. Very practically, because of what the church is, God's gathering of people in Jesus through the Spirit, we are encouraged to have a higher view of the church, to take courage in action, and think of it for our good because of what God does to us in it. But let's go full circle. Because of the church's because the church is God's babelic kill switch, she has more to offer our scattered world. In a world of isolation and loneliness, in a world that is more scattered than ever before, the church has so much to offer. Be precisely because of what it is. A community. One of the first things that God said about man after he pronounced the creation of man to be good, he says it's not good for man to live alone, to be alone. And so it is. We are built for community. We are built for godly community. We are built for community in Jesus Christ. What does the church have to offer a broken and lonely world? Jesus, yep, and one another. In their book, Faith for Exiles, authors David Kinneman and Mark Matlock state, Christians have an opportunity to provide a comprehensive solution to this kind of isolation by spending time together in and through the church. The church can help fill a massive gap in our society, the desire to be 
loved, to be acknowledged for more than what we produce, to be known. It's central to what we're trying to do here at Emmanuel. To love people in the name of Jesus. To build relationship to lonely people or people who perhaps are on the margins. To love them in the name of Christ. To acknowledge them for more than what they produce. To know them. We have two gospel ministries here at Emmanuel, Alpha and the Gospel Project, that are specifically and intentionally geared toward building relationships and proclaiming Jesus. In Alpha, for our 11 weeks together, we welcome people of all ages and religious backgrounds into community. We build relationships with hospitality and the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God, and the promise of the filling of the Holy Spirit is proclaimed. In the Gospel Project, our Wednesday evening ministry for children and youth, adults come alongside kids and youth to love them, to mentor them, to build relationships with them. The Gospel of Jesus is proclaimed in the midst of it. These are only two specific ministries, specific activities that we've undertaken as a result of our vision to be a church that glorifies God by blessing people with gospel ministries, that they may believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and join us in building his kingdom. The church is the Babelic kill switch. The church is also God's means of gathering people to himself where loneliness shouldn't be in effect where isolation shouldn't be a word, where people should never sit alone or be alone or think they're alone. And so our vision is about participating in God's work of gathering. These ministries that we've developed and are developing are intended for that purpose, to bring people into community out of the scattering, into God's gathering of his people in Jesus through the Holy Spirit, the church. So consider this morning your own babelic impulse and the kill switch of the church. I'm a big believer in if the shoe fits, wear it. Where are you in relation to Emmanuel? Just one aspect of God's universal church in Jesus. Do you have a high view of the church as Christ's body? Where are you in building a relationship with those who are scattered? Are you encouraged? Do you take courage in action knowing the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Where are you in submitting to one another in love and to Christ as head of the church as you seek his work in you? Where are you in supporting the ministries of Emmanuel that seek to follow after God and join him in his work of gathering for himself a people in Jesus through the Holy Spirit? Unlike the Tower of Babel and the human project, this is not about Emmanuel building a name for itself. It is about Emmanuel obediently seeking to build a name for Jesus. Maybe I should rephrase that. It's about Emmanuel being obedient so that Jesus will build a name for himself through us. That's all this is about. It's not about building a kingdom for ourselves. It's about being a part of God's kingdom. This is not about gathering for ourselves a huge edifice, a great complex with a beautiful building. It's about being used by God to further God's kingdom through building relationships and fighting against the babelic impulse with the kill switch that is the church. For God's glory. It's for our good, but ultimately it is for God's glory as he sees men and women and children come to faith in Jesus Christ, the only mediator and advocate and are brought into his body, which is the church. 
said this to you this morning in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy and gracious God, we praise you and give you thanks, Lord. That applause is a reflection of your truth in the word and what you're doing. We praise you and give you thanks because you are a God of gathering. You are the God of gathering. And as St. Peter says, you take us, all of us, who were once not a nation, and now we are a nation because we are a people of your possession. So I pray, Lord, that you would be at work in us, in the midst of us, continue to press us outward to offer life in the name of Jesus to all that we encounter, to offer true community in the name of Jesus and in the Holy Spirit as part of the church. Come and glorify yourself now as we sing your praises. Come and glorify yourself as you glorify yourself in the word written, in the word incarnate. Glorify yourself before us as we gather together to sing your praises in song. Come, move among us, change us, and glorify Jesus before us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.